It's so often the case when an outsider goes to France and is baffled by the local customs. It's just the way, the way it's done here. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, we'll take another stab at our ongoing attempt to understand French culture on its terms. Patrick Vidal is a Frenchman who guides American tourists. He'll help us anticipate the reasons for the inevitable faux pas you'll commit as a visitor to France and how French attitudes are changing. I think what changed our country the most is the uh, loss of the colonies because we used to have land all over the world. And Elaine Ciolino, an American based in Paris, shares what she's learned about the seductive nature of French culture while reporting on the country for the New York Times. It really is embedded in French culture that if you dress yourself well from the beginning, you will feel differently about yourself, and you see it all the time. Find out what it means to be civilized a la Francaise in the hour ahead. It's Travel with Rick Steves. What is it about the French? They're often the butt of jokes for comedians on late-night American TV, and they're even the target in perennial political diatribes. But these interpretations of the French seem to miss the point entirely. I've found just about anyone who's been to France can tell you it's one of the friendliest, most charming countries anywhere. But when people try to judge French culture on American terms, well, that's when we get a few cultural misunderstandings. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, we're learning about the je ne sais quoi that makes France such a pleasure to anyone who's willing to surrender to its charms. Reporter and author Elaine Cialino has a follow-up to her earlier appearance with us when she talked about the frankly seductive personality of the French. She'll join us in just a bit. Let's start today's Travel with Rick Steves with Patrick Vidal. As a French tour guide, Patrick's an old pro at educating Americans about his native country. Bonjour, Rick. Patrick, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. When you think about Americans, and you're a tour guide, so you deal with Americans all the time, what are the big challenges for Americans in France to enjoy your culture? Well, I think the most obvious one might be the restaurant and the meal culture. It's uh, it's part of the it's part of the tour or part of the visit to stop in a restaurant. The to meal spend some culture, time. okay. Yeah, the meal culture, yeah. the meal, yeah. And uh, the idea is in France, going fast on the meal or serving you fast quickly uh, is rude because here fast service is good service. Exactly. And many Americans are upset because they're not getting fast service over Absolutely. there. Absolutely. And that's the, that's the main point. When I start introducing friends to my two members on my first meeting, one of the first things I say, remember that when you sit down at the table, they think you're on a holidays. They think you want to enjoy your meal, take your time. When you finish your dish, they won't bring the next one straight away. They'll take their time. It's so ironically, story. slow service is good service. Absolutely. They're respecting you. They want you to it's stay what it is. all yes. day. Yes. Now, if you're just blitzing through and you want a quick meal, if you speak French, you can say, hey, I'm blitzing through. Serve me quick. No problem. Yes, you can easily be served very quickly and uh, people get to understand that. You say, I've, I'm going to the movie, I'm going back to work, I'm going to do something else. You're served quickly, that's not a problem. But you're a foreigner, you come to the restaurant, you're obviously on holidays. You obviously have no rush. No rush, that's Sit the down, epitome relax. of a holiday. But Americans often have a big list and they're on a hurry on their holiday, so we have to explain to our French friends. Now, the United States is a big country and when you're a big country, you think you do it the, quote, normal way. France is also a big country. France, for the, for the European standards, is a big country. It's still nowadays, apart from Ukraine and, and a touch of Russia, the largest country in, in Europe. And culturally, bigger yet. Culturally, very strong and very proud of its own culture and very, very strong on keeping the identity. But, you know, what's interesting in that as well is that we always say, oh, it's France, it's France, it's France. But there's no such thing as French culture. It's different in every little region of France. It's going to be different in Brittany than in the eastern part of France, than in south of France, than in north of France. It's going to be a different thing. You can get global ideas out of it there and global lines, but uh, as soon as you start traveling in different regions, you'll find also regional differences. I think you could make the case France is the most diverse country in Europe. Uh, I hate to say that because I don't know if my colleague yeah, European guides it, yeah. will think the same thing, but I think so. You got Spain? We, we got Spain. You got Italy. We got Italy. You got Germany. Yes. Belgium. Belgium. Hmm? I mean, spilling into your country. Belgium as well. Flemish, Flemish as well, north of France. That's right. And the uh, Lille and Roubaix, uh, north of France, have got the now, very Flemish way of life. Now, you've traveled with Americans in France, and you see the frustrations we have because we think these French people are so proud of their ways, but you've traveled a lot in the United States. I remember 20 years ago, I drove from San Francisco to Philadelphia. It was in January... I was on my own, and uh, my English was pretty poor. 
and I bumped into exactly the same problems in uh, Wyoming, in uh, in uh, Iowa, in the very profound, as with the profound France, profound, the profound United States. Profound America. Yes. So when you say you bumped into the same problems, what do you mean? Oh, people who uh, were not ready to explain to me the menu. One good example of that, I go out for breakfast and... Uh, the, the big thing about America is choice. You know, choice, when you yeah. go for your breakfast, you've got the choice of 10 different ways of making the eggs and 10 different breads and things like that. And you get the thing and you'd say to the lady, oh, I'm going to have a breakfast that type. And she says, oh, uh, and with eggs? Yes, I want eggs. What kind of eggs? Um, how do you want your eggs? Uh, I Chicken don't know. eggs. Uh, and she gives you 10 <laughs> different things very quickly. My English was a bit poor, so well, I'll take the first one. And then, then bread with that, toast with that. Oh, yes, I'll take the toast as well. And what kind of toast? Blah, 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 rye. Uh, I'll take the first one then. So I spent my tour taking when I was at breakfast to take only the first one because my English was not good enough to make me choose this sunny side over. I don't even know now. <laughs> <laughs> so you dealt with this complex and proud and this is the way culture in America. That's it. And it was, it's the same thing Americans are dealing with in France. I, I think this is, this is what it is about traveling in some way, you know. You get to some places where people haven't traveled much or, or are living where they are and they live the way they live and that's, the only that's way. your job to, to adapt to that. That's not their job. So when an American goes to France, you can experience this attitude that, well, it's just the way it's done. It's not right or wrong. It's just the way it's done. No, it is no notion of right or wrong in that. It's just, uh, it's just uh, we do it that way. This is how we have our coffee. Maybe, maybe You don't have your coffee with the dinner. You have the coffee after, after the dinner. dinner. Americans want yeah, their coffee that's, with that's, the dinner. That's one, uh, another one of the things I'm saying to myself. So the waitress the comes there and she wants to pour your coffee. No, you don't have coffee with your meal. No. When I do tours with, uh, with American people in France, I organize a contest during the tour. I said, that every time you get the coffee with your dessert, I give you five points. <laughs> and so just be very, patient. Very right? few people get the coffee with the dessert. Even if you've asked it all the way for the meal, the coffee will still come after the dessert. Not because they want to bother you, not because they don't want to do it for you, just because it doesn't come to them. I mean, the also coffee... Also, the, the waiter will bring it only after. You can ask for it with, but it's just the way it's done. It's just the way it's done. So you I say, mean, can I have my coffee with the dessert? They say yes, and they'll bring it after, after the dessert. After the dessert. <laughs> but that's not rudeness. It's just the way it's, it's done. It's just the way, the way it's done here. That's... I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're learning about the French with a French friend of mine, Patrick Vidal. Patrick, the French culture was huge in Europe a hundred years ago. And your country has basically lost two world wars. It's been a huge hit on French culture. How have the wars affected French culture? Well, I think we've lost uh, even more than two world wars. We, we, we even lost the uh, the one before, 1870, against the uh, Prussian and the, and the Russian. So we've got a long habit of uh, losing wars, and we're pretty good at that. How did it affect us? I don't know. It's a bit difficult to say. I mean... That's not what changed our country the most. I think what changed our country the most is the uh, loss of the colonies. That's how we get out of uh, superpower to a, to a local regional power. Because we used to have land all over the world. We've got North Africa, yeah. right? Algeria, Tunisia, and, and Morocco. Most of Western Africa, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, a few of those countries along mm -hmm. the line, yeah? Senegal, where French was spoken. Islands all around the place, like uh, Madagascar, uh, on the eastern yeah. part of Africa. Around there, Madagascar, the Réunion, Comores, Comoran Islands, and, and places like that. Then uh, Vietnam. Vietnam, the, the, French, right. the French did the same thing. Uh, they wanted to stay in, they wanted to stay in Vietnam. Yes. They get themselves in trouble in Vietnam, and uh, well, they run away. We still have land north of New Zealand. We what still is that? have uh, New Caledonia. That's the French colony. Yes, French colony. It's that. not called colony, of course, nowadays. It's oh, called no, yes. a French outside department or a broad department, a territory abroad or something A territory like. abroad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've lost wars, you've lost your colonies, and you've also been slammed by globalization and the fast American pace of life. How is France and French culture threatened by the fast-paced globalized economy. Yeah, after all those things, you're surprised we're upset. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of things to take in our pride. It is, isn't yeah, it? That's interesting. Things, yeah, absolutely. Uh, way of life is changing in France big time. They can think of the of the lunch break, which was almost a religion in France. It's you would stop the, 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 the shops will close between lunch and and all that kind of things. People will take their time to have the lunch. Oh, it's it's fading away. I is mean, there pressure to compete with the faster-paced, harder-working societies? Obviously, yes, society? of course, yeah, yeah. It's a kind of a very paradoxical in France about that. There, it's the this very traditional way of of 
sitting down and watching the world go by and having the holidays and having a lot of time off, leisure, time and that, and also to make it efficient, to make it worthwhile, to yeah, make to the, the money you spend to compete. Sometimes we don't get the right figures either. I mean, uh, it's said that in Europe, I've, I've read the thing just before I came in a newspaper, apparently France is one of the most cost-efficient country in Europe. Yeah, what, uh, in and, Europe. And what do you mean by that? Uh, like, like you've got workers, you pay your money for your workers. They're more expensive in France, but they produce more. Oh, is that right? Okay. Because their way of life is better. Happy workers with uh, with good social security system, with uh, with a lot of holidays, with a lot of time off, and they produce more. So uh, your heritage uh, from the revolution is favoring the workers. There's more powerful organizations with workers. Is that correct? Yeah, in some ways. In some ways, yeah. You know, the, the history of all those strikes in France, we always think that there are a lot of strikes because those unions are so strong. But I don't think so. I think we've got a lot of strikes in France because the unions are not strong enough. A country like Germany, I've got very strong unions. Oh, so they don't even have before to fight, a decision yeah. is taken, you sit down with the, with the union and you look at what you can do. That's what's going uh-huh. on in Germany. In France, the, the governments and the companies are looking down at the unions saying, oh, well, they're not strong anyway, we don't care. So let's, let's do whatever we want to do. And then you've got 3% of the workers who stop working, the ones which are part of the union, but they block the system. So suddenly, oh, okay, we've got to sit down at the table and start talking. And then they negotiate, and then it, it moves. But you still have to go through this striking process before okay, so you, you have, can have a, a And now a with negotiation. this adjustment with the modern economies and new austerities, Sarkozy making people work longer before they retire and so on, there's going to be some stress in the system. For sure, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it's a, that's a very interesting that because one year and a half ago when the crisis started from all over the world, from all over Europe, at least I should say, everybody was starting to say, oh, finally, maybe the French system is not as stupid as it looks from outside because there's more social cover, there's, there's less stress on working long hours and there's less stress on having things and having loans and, and borrowing money and we are hit by the crisis a bit less than the rest of the world. So you were living within your means a bit more, more honestly. Bit, at least for the private people, more for the government is another story. But at least for the private people. And a lot of people have been much less hit by the crisis than it's been, for instance, in England, which was uh, everybody is on, uh, is on a loan, is, everybody buys the house, everybody on, on big, big credits. And France has been much less strong on that and less hit by the crisis. Less of a bubble to crash. Absolutely. I wasn't born to run as they see I'm sorry sir I'm sorry sir I'm sorry sir 877-333-RICK that's our phone number radio at ricksteves.com is our email address We're exploring the French and its Viva la Différence with Patrick Vidal He's a native-born guide, and he's been teaching us some of the traits that distinguish French culture and society from the rest of the world. Your calls and emails for Patrick are coming up in just a moment on Travel with Rick Steves. Elaine Chilino looks at French culture through an American journalist's eyes. After moving to Paris to report on France for the New York Times, she had to learn really quickly how to gain the confidence of French leaders. She was with us earlier this year to explain how different forms of seduction make things happen in France. She joins us again in a few minutes on Travel with Rick Steves to delve further into the French psyche. 
Right now, tour guide Patrick Vidal is explaining what distinguishes his own culture from ours as we take your calls at 877-333-7425 and as we check your email messages at radio at ricksteves.com. Jeff in Seattle emails us, and Jeff writes, The best book on the French is Polly Platt's French or Faux. Polly was married to a Frenchman and had a company that helped transplants uh, with cultural transitions when they moved to Paris. She made the point that no company would send an employee to Japan without some cultural training, but they send them to France with no help at all. I love France. I've spent many weeks in the country in all regions. We exchanged houses with two of our French friends from Provence and have stayed with our friends near Orleans. That's interesting. People, people send their employees to France with no preparation to understand the culture, and in a business environment, it might be complicated for some American doing business in France. I think the best example of that is the Euro Disney. Euro Disney. Tell me how. That's a big example of that. I mean, I don't remember the dates exactly, but when they when they settled in France, they came with their big American company thinking we're going to build it and run it the way we would run back home. And there was, uh, for the customers, there was no alcohol with the meals anywhere. So this and, was a big mistake by Disney. Mm, of course, because the European, any Europe, it's not only the French, but any Europe, they relax off having a little beer when they are enjoying a day out, out with the kids. So Disney, they figure, ah, oh, we'll make a Disneyland outside of Paris, and they just say, and it is our standard not to have alcohol. They didn't really pay attention to the European market. And uh, that's, that's one example did amongst other ones. Did they change it one. then? Yeah, yeah. That, they did a few rules like that. It was more expensive than the European could really afford. It's a... But then on the employer aspect as well, they made plenty of things. They, they wanted to run it as, a, as an American company. I mean, the, as Disney in, in the States. One, one of the rules was we don't want to see any bad-looking cars on the parking. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a friend who worked for them, and uh, they were very strong on saying, if you've got a bad-looking kind of car looking like a wreck there, you can't come with it on the thing. If well, you French, are an employee. If you are an employee. And French people don't care about that kind of things. I mean, it's a car. I don't earn much money. I mean, we come to my work like that. So that's so one Dis- out of... So Disney learned you cannot go to France and treat your employees like uh, they, they learned it a bad way. Eh? They, they went bankruptcy. Yeah. The company was supposed to be scrapped off, I mean, taken off. And funnily enough, because it's a big company, banks said, okay, we'll get out of your debt. Start again. Disney planned to have it a destination resort with a lot of hotels out at Euro Disney outside of Paris. I understand because Disney was saved, really because there's such good transportation connection from Paris out to Disneyland. Yeah, yeah that's one big part of the thing. Absolutely. It's easy to reach. It's easy to go there. Because people by... would rather stay downtown in Paris, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Rather mm-hmm. than the Daniel Boone Hotel at Disneyland. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Works well. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Patrick Vidal about the French culture. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. You can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. We've got Mary on the line in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Mary, thanks for your call. Thank you for uh, having me. It's always a pleasure. Um, I have a question for your guest. I spent uh, three years in Europe with my family living there, and we traveled all over Europe. We in Germany and Belgium and the Netherlands and and France and we would go to France quite a bit and we would uh, on occasion we would run into French people that were also traveling and doing touristy things in other countries and whenever we ran into the French outside of France their demeanor was very different than if we interacted with them in France. And, I mean, it was like night and day. When we went to Paris, the French people were so nice and friendly. But if we ran into them, like, say, in Germany, they were grouchy and rude. And I was wondering, what's up with that? You know, I'm a a tour guide, and I've learned a long time ago, don't take French people on tours. (laughs) French people people are, are big at complaining. They like, they like to complain. I, I used to be a uh, bus driver, and uh, I remember tours where I would take people for a week. It's not even outside of France. It was, uh, I was living in Brittany, and I was taking people around, just not very far. And I remember vividly that uh, during all the, the tour, people would complain about, oh, last year or the tour before, it was, there was less steps there, and it was complaining all the time. But after that, coming back home and saying, we had the time of our life. And it was the best to ever. And that's, I don't know exactly where it comes from, but that's uh, one but of the French found thing. that while French are on the road, part of their vacation activity is complaining, being, being high maintenance. Yes. <laughs> well, we almost didn't go to France because we thought all the people were 
rude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can see that. Yeah, I can imagine <laughs> that. I was, as you were telling us about that, I was, I was laughing, just like thinking, oh, yeah, well, so I'm, true. I'm, not, I'm not that surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, oh. you read it right, Mary. Okay. I'm glad you finally got to France and realized that the people I did. Are, are, I did. Are we okay. did go to France, and we enjoyed ourselves quite a bit, and I love Paris, and I, I could spend years just in that city. Very nice. Well, thanks for your call. Thank you. Bye now. And Lisa is calling in from Columbia, South Carolina. Lisa, thanks for your call. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say that um, I studied French when I was in high school and college, and I would have loved to have gone and lived in France. That would have been my dream country, and my brother would laugh at me and tell me that I was wasting my time, that everybody spoke English and didn't need to study French, and he ended up falling in love with a French girl who lives in Paris, and now he's lived in Paris for almost 10 years, and um, I laugh at him now, and uh, he's he's done very well with his French, but my experience with the French, and maybe it's because I had an in with my sister-in-law, but I have always found them very um, warm and inviting and extremely hospitable when we went over there for his wedding. Everyone is so kind to us, so when I come back and Americans say how rude the French are, I don't know what to say. I'm sure every now and then you run into a rude French person, but I run into rude Americans every day, so I don't understand why people see them so rude. I have read a book on the differences, the cultures, and one thing I learned was that French people, if you smile a lot, it kind of makes them think you're not very smart. Is that true? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. For (laughs) European culture, I mean, if you're in a metro in Paris, people don't smile. Right. No. Uh, if you if you're in front of a friend and uh, and having a good time, you smile. Uh, that's normal. That's part of life. But on an everyday life, on uh, on a basic thing, people don't smile much. So when they see American with their green on and smiling all the time, they think, "Oh, who's, who's, who are those people? What's wrong with them?" <laughs> he's a little bit well, loony. <laughs> and so you can imagine, you know, I'm from the South in the United States, so I'm trying to be friendly, and I'm over there smiling, smiling, and. I didn't ever know until I read that book that they thought I was dumb. But anyway. <laughs> well, there, I I've think the French are into sincerity. In, in the United States, we have sort of more of a exactly. smiley face culture, and uh, our informality is comfortable with us. But to the French, I think it comes off as a little bit insincere. Yeah, it's exactly that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good insight, Lisa. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Okay, take care. France is famously romantic as a culture. And a lot of Americans dream about meeting a French person, a man or a woman. Patrick, if a woman falls in love with a Frenchman, and it happens quite a lot, a lot of American tourists end up with the ultimate souvenir, uh, what would your warnings be or what would your advice? How can an American woman meet and enjoy a French man? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I don't know if I'm very good at talking about it. I'm, I'm the less romantic person you can think of the world. My my experience. What of, impresses of that, what French? What impresses the French? I think it works. It works like if it worked the other way around. The accent. Really? Of course. Yeah. You, you I mean, find our accent interesting? Absolutely. I mean. You can imagine that in 95% of the cases when people have got a foreign accent, unless it's a, it's a fight between the people, people find it interesting. Anyway, you know, that's interesting. I hate, my, I hate my French accent. Yeah, but if I was a woman right now, just hearing your voice would turn me on. Yeah, but I hate it. If I could get rid of it, I would get rid of it straight away. Don't do that. There's nothing I can do about it. And anyway. you like my accent? Yes, absolutely. Oh, nice? Absolutely, it's uh, it's it's something about it that uh, people like to hear the, the language spoken a little okay. bit differently. So French men and women enjoy the American accent. Absolutely, we don't need to sound like Inspector Clouseau. No, no, Mauricio No, and, and, no, and it, won't, it. it won't do it anyway. It, won't do, it, it won't sounds do it probably funny to a Frenchman. Oui. If I want to sound like oui. Peter Sellers, it won't work. Don't no, try. it wouldn't work. <laughs> don't even try. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're getting insights into the French culture. Patrick Vidal, thanks so much for sharing your beautiful culture with us. You're very welcome. That's my pleasure. Whether it's from the notes you keep in your travel journal, reliving your experiences through your photos, or just something you whip up on the spur of the moment while watching the passing scene from a Parisian cafe, the French capital certainly has inspired many a poet among travelers. Here are some haiku a few of our listeners have sent us about their own impressions of Paris. Paris is the type of city that inspires the poet and many travelers. Here's some haiku about the city 
sent to us by our listeners from the 15 Seconds of Fame link in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Christopher Pacharka of Dana Point, California, noticed this about the city. Paris, a jewel box, a delight for the senses, a discreet lady. Barbara Belknap from Juneau, Alaska, sums up the simple pleasure of a moment in France. A Paris café, croissant, and café au lait, c'est magnifique, eh? And Zach Brown from Ackworth, Georgia, sends us this one he calls a haiku for the ages. In France long ago, longing to return so soon, more years pass on by. All right, let's turn things around now to hear what an American woman has discovered about France. Elaine Chileno has been living in Paris for the past decade, serving as the bureau chief for the New York Times and as a correspondent for Newsweek magazine. She was named a Chevalier of the Legion of Honor in 2010 for her special contribution to the friendship between France and the United States. And Elaine's also one of the only non-French members of the Femme Forum, which is a private club in Paris comprised of the 200 most influential women living in France. We're glad to have Elaine back on Travel with Rick Steves to bring us more of her insights into French society, which she includes in her book, La Seduction, How the French Play the Game of Life. Elaine, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Rick. So you say that seduction is a key to understanding France. What do you mean by that? What I mean is that seduction infuses every aspect of French life. It infuses its history, obviously, but also private life, conversation, politics, foreign policy, food, fashion, commerce. I even go so far as to say it's it's the driving force of French life. Now, a lot of Americans would think seduction, oh, sex, but it's more than sex. It's process. All seduction is is trying to make contact with the other. It's trying to have a perpetual conversation. You know, Ernest Hemingway said Paris is a movable feast. I might say that France is a perpetual conversation. The result is less important than the playing of the game or the the enjoyment that comes from sharing uh, a meal, uh, an experience. And it's, it's this sort of attitude and this kind of behavior that our American puritanical selves don't always allow ourselves to indulge in. So it's not necessarily that somebody has an agenda and they're waging a charm offensive, but they're actually just sort of celebrating the moment? Or what is it? No, actually, the best seduction is one where you don't notice it. This is not overt, crass flattery. This is this is a, a journey, and perhaps you don't know what the end of the journey is going to be or whether there will be an end to the journey. But does the seducer know where he or she's taking you? It depends. It depends if the seducer is organized and determined and uh, <laughs> perhaps a bit malicious or if it just happens to be an open-ended conversation. If you, know, you go into the butcher and you don't go into the butcher to buy two veal chops, you go into the butcher to discuss what's good that day and you may end up with chicken livers because that's what the butcher tells you that you must prepare that evening. One of the most fascinating photographs I've ever seen is the photograph that accompanied your recent New York Times magazine article that showed President Jacques Chirac kissing the hand of Laura Bush. And, and Laura Bush <laughs> is just looking out like, what's going on here? And he looked like a matador going in for the kill. <laughs> well, Jacques Chirac, it turns out, was a bit too ardent a hand kisser. If the hand kiss, the besmaz, it's called in French, is done correctly, Lips never touch skin, and uh, he just loves to make contact. I mean, I once saw him giving Simone Weil, the former uh, health minister, a, a kiss, and, and you could actually hear the smack across the room. Whoa. He, he had an agenda, I would imagine, when he was kissing her hand. Oh, absolutely. He loved to kiss hands. He thought it was a way to to convince the women of France and the women of the world that he was charming and elegant and, and fun. Jacques Chirac was a lot of fun. Now, Americans have a tough time with French culture and, and French people. And is that because of this whole seduction thing? Is that part of the confusion? But sometimes you get 
the French people who can be extraordinarily rude to Americans. Sometimes there's a reason. I mean, we Americans don't know that when you walk into a store, for example, or you get onto a bus, you're supposed to say bonjour. You don't just walk into a store and look around. You have to say hello to the shopkeeper. You don't just get into a bus and put your money into the little bin. You're supposed to say bonjour to the bus driver. And if you don't, it's really considered quite rude. Same thing in a restaurant. You go into a restaurant, you're supposed to say bonjour to the waiter. So that there is such a thing as anti-seduction. There, there can be that you know, horrid bureaucrat who asks you for still another paper that you never knew you had to have in the first place to get your uh, your identity card, or that waiter who will not pay any attention to you because um, you may be too loud or he doesn't want to deal with an American that day. And I call that anti-seduction because everything in France, there's a dialectic. So you've got the positive and then you've got the opposite. So you also wrote in, in your book, it was just fascinating about anti-seduction. You talked about bling and porno being anti-seduction. There's nothing subtle about porn or Rolex watches. It's just too obvious. It's like new wealth or to be nouveau riche or to uh, take off everything. I mean, nudity isn't considered very sexy in France. I mean, adorning the body with beautiful lingerie is much more sexy. And there have been polls done that show that the vast majority of French think that lingerie is an important aspect of everyday life. You had a quote in your book about some woman said, never show your husband your naked body unless you're in bed. Yes, because her view was that you should always keep an air of mystery around you and you don't want to just parade yourself nude in front of your husband. You want to wear you know, a feather boa or you know, some kind of lace confection. And um, she also said, you know, if you, if you give it away in front of him nude, he may never buy you lunch. <laughs> and I couldn't believe this. And I was there with a young journalistic assistant from the New York Times. And I said, do you believe this? And she said, of course, I would never show myself nude in front of a man. Whoa. There's an incredible new ad for Miss Dior Sherry perfume. And they're using the most sexy Serge Gainsbourg, Jane Birkin song uh, along with it. It's interesting because the last Miss Dior Sherry ad, they, they used Bridget Bardot, but they cut off the orgasm at the end. And this one, they've got it in the middle of the song. It's extraordinary. Whoa. I was shocked. I was really shocked. I was, I was surprised that they, they, they ran it like that. It was banned by the Vatican. But you know what's interesting about that ad? I was thinking about it because here I saw it today after seeing the Sex in the City last night. Um, they basically don't take their clothes off. You know, it's all suggestion. You know, it's the forest. It's it's unzipping a dress. It's taking the sunglasses. I mean, the most takeoff part is she takes her sunglasses off. So it's all about anticipation and mystery. Je pense à toi en tant que cible. La Seduction, fittingly enough, is the title of Elaine Chiolino's most recent book, based on what she's learned about how things get done in France. She lives in Paris with her husband and two children and is a well-connected correspondent for The New York Times. There's more with Elaine about French culture in just a moment. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Elaine Chilino is our guest right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Her latest book is gleaned from years spent living in Paris. It's called La Seduction. She's with us to explain how seduction in many forms is what seems to compel much of French society and how seduction explains a lot of what might confuse Americans trying to negotiate their way around France. Elaine, you mentioned lingerie and... Uh, Apparently the French queen of lingerie said, by hiding, you actually show better. And, and this must have something to do with the fact that French women, I think, spend more on underwear than any other culture. Yes, there really is a lot of attention 
paid to what you put up against your body. And I think it's part of building self-confidence and feeling good about yourself. And mm. and it really is embedded in French culture that if you dress yourself well from the beginning, you will feel differently about yourself. And you see it all the time that women can be dressed very simply on the outside, but underneath they might have some extraordinary bit of engineering that is, you know, Victoria's Secret squared. At the same time, you wrote how the lace industry is really struggling in France. There's a new museum in Calais, apparently, about lace, and talked about how France is kind of stuck in a bind between the powers of globalization and everything fast and efficient and this sort of elegant heritage that glorifies lingering and subtlety. Well, this is certainly more than just French, but the French mastered and perfected the art of making beautiful objects, whether it's producing lace or making beautiful handbags or beautiful couture clothing. And handmade lace is not valued the way it was because you can get handmade lace from China that's about a hundredth of the cost. And you can get beautiful machine-made lace uh, that isn't made on these fabulous but out-of-date industrial looms but can be done in India for a fraction of the cost. In your book, you wrote about the French passion for lighting buildings. And I never realized that a city would be proud of the uplighting on its buildings. And in your book, you wrote about how lighting architecture can be like giving an ordinary woman uh, uh, lighting by candlelight. It's a fascinating appreciation of beauty in, in an area that a lot of people would not even consider. Right, right. Even the ugliest building can turn beautiful at night if it's lit properly. It's kind of like a woman putting on makeup. It's a beautiful thing to do in Paris, by the way, is to take a floodlit tour. I've never done that. Have you done it? I've done it so much. In fact, what I've done is take the expensive big bus floodlit tour, take that route, and then for the cost of two tickets on that tour, you can hire a private taxi to ask him to do this route, just circle it on a map, and you can hop out and and just celebrate floodlit Paris after dark. It is one of the most beautiful experiences in all of Europe. Oh, that is the coolest thing. Let's do it when the next time you're in Paris. It's a deal. I would love to. Andy and I will have you over for dinner, and then we'll go on, a, on your floodlit tour. Great. We'll talk about <laughs> floodlighting and, and seduction at the same time. It's a deal. Well, I still remember that bus, that wonderful bus tour. What is it, the 69 bus? Yeah. What's the bus that goes from one end to the from other? The I threw it into a New York Times story once. Oh, nice. It's the absolute best thing for Isn't people to great? do in Paris. And it finishes at uh, Père Lachaise, so you can just yeah, wander exactly. on that. People are afraid to take buses in Paris, but they shouldn't be. That's a great one. I'm Rick Steves. We're talking about uh, seduction, how to understand the French game of life with Elaine Shalino, who's just written a book on that very topic. Elaine, in your book, you deal with this issue from a woman's rights point of view and what an impact this has on women in France. And it is quite interesting because for a lot of Americans who are interested in women's issues and how women can get their due respect in a male-dominated world, France seems like a dinosaur. What does this mean to you, la seduction, from a dignity and and respect for women point of view? French feminism is very different from American feminism. In the United States, American women set down very, very strict rules about what would be appropriate and inappropriate behavior in the workplace, for example, in public transportation, in, in politics, so that we have very good sexual harassment laws. We've got good rulings in and good guidelines in, in offices, in, in factories. It's very different in France. Women still flirt in the workplace, and men can still tell women that they look beautiful, that they love their perfume, they can kiss women on both cheeks. In fact, women, some women feel a little uncomfortable if they're executives and they have to go into a room with just men, that they have to go around the room and kiss everybody twice. uh, So that by the time the woman gets back to her seat, it's been made very, very clear that there is a difference. I think this is changing, and it's changing because of what happened in the Dominique Strauss-Kahn scandal. Dominique Strauss-Kahn, who had been the head of the IMF, was a contender. He could have been president of France was uh, in a hotel room in New York and accused by the hotel chambermaid of sexual assault. He's denied it. And what this incident has done is it has opened a conversation in France. I think there's going to be a pre-DSK period and a post-DSK period. I call it France's Anita Hill moment. Anita Hill, who had challenged Clarence Thomas uh, as justice of the Supreme Court saying that he was guilty of sexual harassment. 
it led to changes in laws and changes in behavior. Mm. And France is in this moment. There has a conversation is being opened among women about what is acceptable behavior, what is an abuse of power, what is sexual harassment. My sense with this whole uh, Dominique Strauss-Kahn thing is a lot of cultural leaders and thought leaders in France came to his support and said, oh, it's just he said, she said, and so on. And uh, all of a sudden they realized, wait a minute, the uh, the public sentiment was was not just to blow this off, but to really take it seriously. It just seemed so strange that Dominique Strauss-Kahn would risk his chance to be president. He had been ahead in the polls You know, France is going to have a presidential election in 2012. He really was a serious opponent for the sitting president, Nicolas Sarkozy, and he was just about ready to announce his candidacy. So it seemed a bit too neat for some people that he could possibly have done this, and there were Uh, even those who said that it was a setup. A setup. But it was huge news on both sides of the Atlantic. Is that an indication that attitudes are changing in France? Well, it's still huge news in in France that such a high-level figure, such a god for some people, could fall so low, opened the floodgates to all sorts of other stories and stories about Strauss-Kahn. I mean, everybody knew that Strauss-Kahn had a reputation, and I say reputation because it was still in the the sort of stages of rumors and innuendos and, and charges, but nothing ever legal against him. Everybody suspected that he was a womanizer and there were all sorts of stories. But none of us in the media, not the French media, not the American media, did a very, very serious investigation of his private life to see whether or not he had good enough judgment to be the head of the IMF. Well, being a womanizer and and being a, a rapist are two completely different things, aren't they? Absolutely. But the only thing that is in common is raising the question of whether there could be an abuse of power. Right. Absolutely. Seduction and criminality are completely different. I mean, Mitterrand celebrated his womanizing almost, didn't he? Well, Mitterrand was different. Mitterrand had a a mistress who was more than a mistress. She was like a second wife. He had a second family who was put into a government apartment and protected at government expense. And people knew it and people accepted it? People knew it and didn't talk about it. So the news stops at the bedroom door in the past. Is that changing in the future now in France, would you say? It's beginning to change. It's beginning Mm -hmm. to change. And what I don't know is whether this change is permanent or if it will go back to business as usual. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Elaine Chalino about um, culture in France. And that's the, the topic of her book, La Seduction, How the French Play the Game of Life. Elaine, let's talk for a minute about Nicolas Sarkozy. He started his political career sort of as a a case study in anti-seduction, didn't he? I mean, wasn't that part of the key for his political success? Nicolas Sarkozy is a very hard-charging politician. He's almost American in a way because he doesn't care what people think about him. He doesn't care the way he talks. He talks in slang. He talks in partial sentences. This in a country where eloquence is cherished, valued. He has a terrible temper and uh, can use very, very vitriolic language against those around him. But in 2007, he ran an incredibly disciplined political campaign. He's capable of extraordinary control. He made no mistakes in that campaign. He ran against a candidate, a woman, who sort of disintegrated towards the end, and he won. And despite the fact that he is very, very low in the polls. And there are all sorts of stories that he can never become president again. I don't, I'm not so sure. I think he could uh, win a second term. Well, first of all, he must have uh, got traction with the electorate because people thought, okay, we won't have all this subtlety stuff. Here's a man who can get things done in an American kind of way. Well, that's because the French economy was suffering so badly and people voted their pocketbooks and he promised change. And you wrote about how he was so unpopular and that he was, uh, I guess, separated or divorced and then single and seen as just a lonely guy, which is the opposite of this uh, beautiful society and all this seduction and so on. And he realized that and then married Carla Bruni, Italian supermodel, pop singer and big change. Suddenly, Sarkozy is popular again. No, he's not popular again, but she certainly helped uh, short term. Because she is beautiful, she's charming, she was very well raised and really has helped change him. She put him on a diet, she's tried to get him to control his temper, 
And I mean, I would say she's the best thing about him. I I find her quite extraordinary. It seems like France is in a period of transition, grappling with the modern world and its heritage and, you know, with the Dominique Strauss-Kahn stuff, with Sarkozy, with dealing with uh, a faster pace of life. Is French culture declining? Is it changing? Or is it going to carry on? What's your take on that? It's hard to talk in, in huge sweeping generalizations, and I wouldn't dare do so. But certainly, French culture is changing. It's it's not as globally pervasive as it used to be. America has invaded France. American television is everywhere. American movies are everywhere. The most popular books in France are often American books. So it's a sort of degradation of French culture as we used to know it. But it's understandable because with globalization, with the internet dominating our lives, with the need for France to modernize in a way that the French are still reluctant to do, it's changing what we know of France. The family farm is disappearing and Mm -hmm. small atelier that made beautiful shoes or hand-rolled scarves are closing and chain stores are opening. McDonald's is more popular in France than it is in the United States. Mm -hmm. Starbucks is everywhere in Paris. Uh, Yes, there's changes. Now, in spite of all of that change, for you to do your work as a journalist, do you still have to play the game of seduction, or is that um, no longer such a, a key skill? Well, what you have to do is you have to speak French. In order to do your job well as a journalist in France, you've got to know French well enough so that you can seduce, so that your knowledge of the language and your respect for the culture by knowing the language is sufficient that the other will know that you take him or her seriously. So that's more than having a vocabulary. It's speaking French in terms of knowing the game as well as the language. If you can joke in French, you can have anything. So many Americans are going to Paris and settling in, renting an apartment for a few weeks and so on, and they can be frustrated by this game of life, or they can embrace it and make it be a positive part of their experience. Let's close, Elaine, just by giving tourists a little bit of advice on how they can have the confidence and embrace the mystery to to make seduction a plus rather than a minus on their visit. Spend double the time you normally would to do the most banal things, whether it's to go into a bakery or buy a piece of chocolate or to take a walk or to try to send the package back home at the post office. Have some peripheral vision and don't just focus on the goal but look at what's going on around you, and you will have a glorious time. Beautiful advice for a beautiful culture. Elaine Chalino, La Seduction, beautiful book. Congratulations and best wishes with your work as a journalist and a writer. Thank you so much, and I'll see you in Paris, Rick. That's right. We're going to do a floodlit tour. <laughs> It doesn't have a Louvre or Versailles, nor is it a magnet for visitors from around the world. But for a little over 15,000 people, the town of Mount Vernon, Illinois, is home. And that's where Sue Tomlin listens to Travel with Rick Steves on WVSI. That's the local repeater station for WSIU from Southern Illinois University. Here's what Sue wrote us about where she lives. I live in a small Midwestern town at the crossroads of two major interstates, I-57 going north and south, and I-64 leading east and west. I often wonder what this town would be like if the Eisenhower administration had not championed all those asphalt rivers of human movement. Everywhere I go, I meet people who've been through here, spending the night or grabbing a meal en route to somewhere else, somewhere more glamorous. Living at a crossroads affects people's lives in some unexpected ways. The local college teaches truck driving courses where men and women learn to pilot 18-wheelers that flood our exit ramps. Many local artists and writers have driven these beasts of commerce to support themselves 
while practicing their creative crafts. I think this town must be home to some of the most gentle-natured and well-educated truckers in the business. Sitting on two interstates, we have virtually every chain restaurant known to humankind. Only the locals know the real culinary gems like the 9th Street Grill and the Frosty Mug, since they are tucked far away from the more recognizable names. But sometimes, you see the more adventurous travelers at these less-known restaurants. They are the 20-somethings who eschew the franchises and search out local favorites on their droids. Or couples in their 50s who believe that life is too short to settle for ordinary food. I sometimes feel like I should congratulate them for seeing beyond the interstate. But we Midwesterners can never be quite that bold. Autumn is my favorite season for interstates. Just as the monarch butterflies are heading south and geese are beginning to honk overhead, you can see a human migration at the highway. Well-organized Hispanic families in their clean American-made trucks are heading out after a season of picking apples and peaches. Homeless men are hitchhiking through in search of a warmer place to spend the winter, and groups of colorfully clad youth are spare changing on their way to the rainbow gathering. So long after the thistle and black-eyed Susans have ceased to grace the roadside, these travelers bring a splash of beauty all their own. At dusk, the restaurant and hotel signs form a neon bouquet of color that floats high above the interstate signpost that direct busy travelers on their way. But sometimes, when I drive under these signs and pass these nearby lakes and woodlands, I wonder if the city folks who come here to fish, hunt, golf, or just pass through are envious of where I get to live full time. I like to think they are. Send us a few paragraphs about your own hometown, wherever it may be, and write it up in a way that would make me want to visit. A link for your submissions is in the radio section of our website. The address is ricksteves.com. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington by Tim Tatton with Sarah McCormick. Thanks to Keith Stucklemeyer for reading today's Where I Live entry. Also to Aaron Harding and to our colleagues at the Radio Foundation in New York City for their help with today's show. We also get technical help from Andrew Wakeling, Robin Cronin, and Jonathan Lee. And our theme music is by Jerry Frank. We've arranged many of the interviews from past editions of the show by the countries we discuss. They're available as podcasts and as apps that you can download to your portable player or smartphone. Look for the Rick Steves Audio Europe links at ricksteves.com. And join us again next week for more travel with Rick Steves. Each year, Rick Steves tour guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through France and beyond, one small group at a time. This year, we're featuring tours of Paris and the south of France, Paris and the heart of France, Paris by itself, and the villages and vineyards of eastern France. For a free catalogue and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com.